You're listening to the Dreamer's Den podcast. I'm your host, Leilani Navar. I'm here along with guest dream workers, authors, and teachers to talk about diving deep into your dreams. We're skipping the small talk and going for conversations about what matters most to us, what's touching us so deeply that it shows up in our dreams, in one form or another. We talk about engaging with dreams to experience insight, inspiration, healing, and meaningful connection with one another. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you can catch all these conversations. Visit thedreamersden.org slash open for a free video and mini book to help you learn more about opening up or deepening your own relationship with your dreams. You're about to listen to Denise Connor talk with me about dreams and health, what she learned from her years with Jeremy Taylor, and how important the tone of a dream group is for doing this intimate work of sharing dreams. She'll jump right in at the beginning with the story of one of her most significant dream experiences, a series of three dreams that guided her through some major medical decisions, and also how her work with Jeremy prepared her to receive the messages of those dreams. I hope you'll stick around for the end when I share a dream and Denise offers her projections, Jeremy Taylor style, and then I invite you to share your projections too as a part of our sort of impromptu dream group, Denise and me and you who are listening in the Dreamer's Den Facebook group. So please listen to that dream and then come into the Facebook group no matter when it is that you're listening to this episode and let me know what you would think about if that were your dream. Denise and I recorded this episode some weeks ago, before the COVID-19 pandemic had affected so many lives in so many ways, so you won't hear Denise or me mention it in this episode. However, what's coming up live next month on Saturday, May 16th, is very much related to this time that we're all in. Along with Melissa Grace of The Night is Young, I'll be hosting an online gathering you are warmly invited to come explore a dream of your own with us. We're focusing on dreams of closeness and distance, of connection and disconnection, as they're showing up in this time of social distancing. This is going to be all about you connecting with your own dreams and your own inner sense of what matters most right now, and about all of us connecting with each other. It's also about you giving yourself the gift of some time and attention to what's happening on this deep inner level for you right now and receiving that gift of time and attention and the insights and nourishment that come along with it. You're welcome to bring a dream with you that has these themes in it, um, keeping a distance or running away, pulling back from someone or drawing someone close, keeping someone out or welcoming them in, or anything else that you get the sense is related to these things. If you don't have a dream that feels connected to these themes, you're also welcome to bring an image or a scene from a myth or a fairy tale that feels related for you. So mark your calendar and come to thedreamersden.org to sign up so you can jump in with us on May 16th. And now my interview with Denise. My guest today is Denise Connor. Denise has been engaged with dreams since 1984, from when she first began to keep a dream journal to this point now when she is certified as a professional dreamwork facilitator by the Marin Institute for Projective Dreamwork and an online dreamwork facilitator through the Unitarian Church of the Larger Fellowship. Like me, she was touched deeply by working with Jeremy Taylor but where I only met him in person once, Denise had the opportunity to work closely with him for many years. And she's retired now from a 24 year career as a chiropractor and lives in the Washington DC area where she's been helping people unpack their dreams in an ongoing local dream group for the last 15 years. Welcome Denise, thank you for being here. Well, thank you for, thank you for interviewing me. It's, uh... It's always a pleasure to talk to people about dreams. Yes, I agree. So how did you first realize that dreams really mattered to you? Well, I, 
from even when I was a child, I had a number of dreams that seemed to be really intense. But I didn't think a lot about it until I got into my teen and early 20 years and just was always interested in those things unseen. And dreams are not seen. Dreams come to us in the middle of the night usually. And then when I was in my early 30s, um, I had started working with a counselor and um, someone suggested to me that I um, keep a journal because sometimes after you've worked with a counselor, it's nice to go back and see where you were and where you are. And the counselor also just kind of off the cuff one day said, you know, if you ever have any interesting dreams, you know, bring them in here and we'll talk about them. Mm -hmm. That was not his main focus, but he just kind of put that out there. And so when I started keeping a journal, I would write down my dreams. And one time I took a dream in that was really very helpful in terms of establishing my relationship with the therapist. And then uh, later, at some point, I realized I was interested in Jungian psychology to a certain extent. And I joined the Washington Society for Jungian Psychology. And in their newsletter, they had um, an invitation for people who were interested in a dream group. And this was probably in the middle 90s, early middle 90s. So I joined this group and got involved with the dream group. And we didn't really have a format. It was a little bit free floating. And then sometime within a year of joining that group, I was in a bookstore and happened to see Jeremy Taylor's book, Where People Fly and Water Runs Uphill. Uh So I picked the book up and bring it home. And I'm kind of blown away by the way this man is putting together ideas about the value of dreams and his story and his history of working with dreams. So I show up at the dream group with this book and I say, look, I have this great book. And one of the women there said, oh, I know him. He married me and my ex-husband 20 some odd years ago. And oh, by the way, He's coming to town in a few weeks to do a workshop. Uh-huh. So we all trotted off to this workshop and there was about, I don't know, 50 or 60 people there. And I was completely astounded by this man's ability to take a group of strangers and create this environment of curiosity and awe and wisdom and safety and empowerment and respect. And at the end of this workshop, I remember standing up and saying, where have you been? I've been waiting for you my entire life. Oh, wow. And whenever he came to town, if he was within four or five hours drive, I took his workshop and just got tremendously interested. And then I guess it was about six years later, I had a strange... um, mammogram report. There seemed to be some strangeness on my routine mammogram. But before that happened, I had had the beginning of a series of dreams. And in the first dream, I'm talking to a friend who is a younger person who had had at that time about four or five episodes of a rare and um, odd kind of cancer in the tongue and neck. And in the dream, I've been diagnosed with some kind of pre-cancerous situation, and I'm really freaked out. And I'm talking to this young man, and I'm saying, so, you know, how did you cope with this, and what did you do? And in the background in this dream was a physician, a woman who I had never met in waking life, going, Denise, 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 it's okay, it's okay. There's lots of ways of dealing with this. It's going to be okay. So I wake up from this dream, and then a month later, I go and I have this mammogram, and here are some strange calcifications that hadn't been there before. And the radiologist says to me, you know, you you might want to get this biopsied. And I, of course, because he would always show me the films, because I, I read films as a chiropractor. I don't read breast films, but he would show me the films, and we would talk about them. And he said, I said, what's worst case scenario? 
He said something called DCIS, which stands for ductal carcinoma in situ. And he said, I asked him, I said, well, if I was your sister or your wife, he said, I would say get a biopsy. So I said, okay. So I come home and I'm thinking, you know, I wonder if that's what that dream was about. So then I start looking around for doctors and I interviewed several doctors and then I met this woman that I really liked. And on the way home, I said to my husband, you know, I think I'm probably going to go with her. I was really comfortable with her. And he said, well, I sort of got that. And then we're driving a little farther and I turned to him and I go, oh my God, that was the doctor in my dream. Oh, wow. Who I had never met. Mm-hmm. So then I have a second dream. And in the dream, um, I go, I'm in a car, I'm a passenger in a car, someone else is driving, and we're going out into the countryside to be involved in some kind of meeting. And as we're parking our cars and trying to figure out where we're going to go, this man comes down the road in a car, and he is shooting a gun, and he's shooting people, and people are diving under their cars. And people are screaming, and it's just really intensely fearful and chaotic. And he stops his car, and he's about 100 feet from me, and he starts to come right towards me. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know. So I scrunch down under the dashboard, you know, hunker down in the seat, and he drives by. And I wake up, and I tell my husband, I have dodged a bullet. Mm -hmm. So then we go on the process of, of uh, surgery and the doctor does a one lumpectomy. She can't get clean margins. She does a second lumpectomy. She can't get clean margins. She says, Denise, I'll do a third lumpectomy, but I think it's a waste of time. I think we need to do a mastectomy because I think that this precancer is everywhere. And I said, Oh my gosh. So then I have a third dream. And in the dream, I go, I'm in Tennessee visiting some of my relatives one of my cousins or somebody in in the dream, somebody's getting married and we're in their townhouse and I'm looking everywhere for my people and I don't see any from, you know, there's people from the middle East. There's people from Spain. There's people from South America, from Europe, from Asia, from the attic to the basement are foreign people. Mm. They're not tearing down the walls and they're not creating a lot of destruction, but, from top to bottom are foreigners. So I wake up and I say to my husband, you know what? I'm going to have to have this mastectomy because the dream had said to me throughout the entire house of your breast are foreign cells. Uh-huh. So I went ahead and had the mastectomy and reconstruction and everything was fine. But I found that the thing that was the most, um, what's the word I want to say? The most comforting to me was that I had many emotions throughout all of this experience. I was angry. I was frustrated. I was really sad. I was grievous. I was aggravated, but I was never afraid. Uh And I'm somebody who presents very sort of confidently, but inside a lot of times I'm really, I've always really been very fearful, but I had zero fear, zero. Because in that first dream, the doctor said, Denise, don't worry. We've got a lot of ways of dealing with this. You're going to be fine. And even my late sister said to me, you know, I was getting freaked out because you weren't getting freaked out. And Uh I said, Karen, the dreams have always never lied to me. They have never lied to me. And I was just so grateful to have met Jeremy and had a bunch of workshops by that time. And in fact, I sent him a very long letter you know, sort of laying all this out and thanking him for his presence in my life, because I don't know that had I not studied with him and been really kind of tuned in to the idea that dreams come to help us, I don't know that I would have been able to understand the way I was, to understand the dreams and feel as comforted and reassured as I was. So if I had not been someone who valued the information from dreams before that experience, I certainly was after that experience. Yes. And, you know, that 
that's what I was finding myself wondering as I listened to this story. I mean, it's an amazing story of your, your process, the dreams themselves, um, and really the clarity that they gave you um, over time, you know, in a series. Mm-hmm. And as I, was, as I was listening to you tell them, I, I was thinking, how, how would you have related to these dreams? Would you have related to them at all if you hadn't done dream work with Jeremy? I mean, that dream of the shooter coming at you as you um, scrunch down in the car, I think many people have had dreams um, that are terrifying like that, you know, an attacker of some kind, a violent situation and wake up afraid. And at least the way you summarized it for us now, when you woke up, you had uh, a clear aha moment of, I have dodged a bullet. And I'm wondering, can you imagine, or was there any sense of that as a nightmare or a scary dream or something that might've been hard to engage with if you didn't have this former experience? Oh, I think absolutely. I think, and that's why I wrote Jeremy the letter was because it was due to the work that I had already done with him. It was due to the workshops I had taken and the experience I had of of listening to what he was saying over and over again. I mean, Jeremy said over and over again, all dreams come in the service of health and wholeness. And if we have a dream and remember it, he says that is a strong indicator in and of itself that we have the psycho-spiritual resources to deal with whatever issue is coming down the road. And I had also had a little bit of experience with, you know, what is the symbolism here? I mean, the first dream, it was interesting to me because in the series of dreams, I got both a very literal dream. The first dream was extremely literal. Yes. But the other two dreams were symbolic. And actually most dreams are symbolic. Mm -hmm. And I had had enough experience by that time to understand that this is most likely a symbolic dream because most dreams are. I had already sort of figured out what the first dream was about and recognized that that was a literal dream. Um, and so I, I was able to wake up and go, oh boy, that was really kind of upsetting. But then to immediately step back and say, you know, what would Jeremy say about this dream? And I was immediately able to kind of think about it with a different perspective than I might have had, had I not met him and taken some workshops and worked with him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And did you, you said you kind of asked yourself, what would Jeremy say? And did you work any of these three dreams with anyone else or was it all pretty clear for you on your own? It was all pretty clear for me. I did not work any of these dreams because one of the things that's interesting is that Jeremy used to say, you know, the, the person who understand, who knows what the dream means is the dreamer. Uh-huh. No one else knows it better, but we are all kind of uniquely blind to the messages in our own dreams, which is why working dreams in a group can be so valuable. Because Jeremy used to say that dreams bring us information that is not yet speech ripe. We can't necessarily say it, but we have an aha when we hear it. When someone else says, you know, if that were my dream, it, you know, I wonder if, if that would have something to do with dodging a bullet. You know, if that's, if that's true for the dreamer. The dreamer is probably going to have sort of a, an internal, oh, that makes so much sense. And for whatever reason, with these three dreams, I was able to do that um, and just kind of sit with it and think, okay, what was the message of the first dream? And might this have something to do with this thing I'm dealing with? And if it does, What's the story in the dream? The story is someone shows up, there's danger, some people are being injured, some people are being killed, but the dreamer is not injured or killed. I mean, that was the story. If you step back and look at it, 
Yeah. That was the narrative. And so I, like I said, it, it's totally because I had worked with Jeremy and taken his workshops that I was able to take that step out and go, okay, what exactly is the story this dream is telling? So that gave me the clarity. Now, believe me, a lot of times that doesn't happen with me. Most of the time, I'm just like everybody else. I'm also uniquely blind. And that's why I love working dreams in a, in, in a group. Once in a while, I feel like I'll have a dream and I'll go, oh, you know, I could work this dream with some people, but I'm, I think I have a sense of what it's saying. Um, you know, Jeremy used to tell us also, dreams don't come to tell us something that we already know. Dreams come to give us further insight. And here I had had the first dream that was a very literal dream with this woman saying, it's going to be okay. Well, let's give her a little more reinforcement. The, I refer to the dreams coming from the dream mistress. The dream mistress says, you know, let's give Denise a little more reassurance. So boom, she sends me a dream in which I dodge a bullet. But then the third dream was about, okay, which decision do I make? Which course of action do I take in this process of dealing with this precancer? Do I have another lumpectomy or do I just go ahead and do the mastectomy like the surgeon recommended? So the dream came to me to give me clarification. Yeah. You can do this other procedure, Denise, but this dream is telling me from top to bottom, there are foreign cells. I, that third dream is so wonderful to me because you know, for in my in my own life, my health as a mother and especially as a healthcare provider as well, I see people go through so much uncertainty about mm-hmm. which, which path to take, you know, when there's um, something serious is going on. And this to me is also one of the greatest gifts, gifts of dreams is that when you have that sense of clarity, when you have that aha, your own sense that you know, that you know, it's true and you know what to do is so powerful and such a relief. Well, and I think that was part of, that was part of the whole package of why I was never afraid. Because there was something very um, helpful. You know, I felt like at some level, whatever you want to call the source of the dreams, the dream mistress, I had an ally. I had an ally who was helping me navigate and who sort of was saying, you know, we got this, we've got this, this is going to be okay. And that was a phenomenal feeling. Yes. Yeah. So I would love to ask you some more about working with groups because I, like you have this experience, you know, I've worked with my own dreams quite a bit. I've worked with others' dreams and I feel experienced. I have some understanding of the language of dreams, but when it comes to my own dreams, I too am uniquely blind. I I can't see my own blind spots. And it's in those groups that I get these amazing nudges or shifts in perspective or just new takes on something. I love what you said about the first time you worked with Jeremy, that he was able to take this group of strangers and set up such a a potent environment for people um, supporting each other, caring for each other, respectfully pushing each other along in this work. And I would love to know, and in your own experience leading groups as well, what what makes that possible to, to have a group of strangers go from, you know, never having met each other to doing this fairly intimate work? You know, I think it has to do with um, creating a sense of respect, of safety, of compassion. And, and it's, it's like Jeremy was able to create a container that, that was um, so powerful. Um, one time I remember he was teaching a workshop that I was taking up at Pendle Hill in Pennsylvania. This, I can't remember the date. I'd have to go look at my notes, but I had taken a lot of workshops with him. And um, it was going to be a five-day workshop. And Jeremy, 
and there was about 20 of us, I think. And a day and a half into the workshop, Jeremy had to leave because he had a health issue that he could not avoid. He could not postpone. He needed to get home and get it dealt with. And so he turned to me and said, um, I want you to take over and lead the rest of this workshop, you and this other person. And I was completely blown out of the water and uh, I was terrified. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was utterly terrified because, you know, here my mentor and my teacher and my guide, who I respect and admire beyond words, has said, Oh, uh, here's the swimming pool. I'm throwing you into the deep end, you know. Uh-huh. And so I said, uh, Are you sure? And he said, Yes, I'm sure. So he left and I was. I was truly terrified out of my mind because, you know, how do you follow in this guy's footsteps? But fortunately, the other person there had had some experience with group work. He was a therapist and he had he had studied with Jeremy. And there was also a woman in the group who I became good friends with who had taken a lot of Jeremy's workshops. And so I was I, I had taken enough of Jeremy's workshops that I knew what is important is the tone. What is important is the tone and making people feel safe. And so that's what I focused on for the rest of the workshop. And at the end of every day, you know, I would get together with this woman friend and say, how did it feel? Did I do, you know, did we do it? Was it okay? Was it okay? And she was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was totally, I was trying to model how Jeremy's energy was Uh because he was able to create such an environment. And the other fellow who had had experience with groups and who had worked with Jeremy was also um, someone who was trying to do that kind of, okay, we know how Jeremy's groups feel. Let's see if we can keep that feeling. And I think that um, in groups that I've worked with in the past, there, it's, it's really important to, to create a sense of respect and safety. Uh-huh. And people need to feel safe to express these these stories are very intimate. Our dreams are very intimate, like you say. And if you realize that we're all here out of curiosity and caring and compassion and respect, it makes it very easy. And of course, Jeremy always said, we're not going to, Unless people request absolute confidentiality, we're going to assume from the get-go that we have anonymity. And if you tell a story, if you tell a dream, unless, you know, it's something that you absolutely, I don't want this, anything about this dream shared, you ask that. The person will always ask that. And I've never, ever heard a group say, no, we're not going to do that. Everybody Uh is very respectful of people's boundaries. And that was the other thing that I think made it feel so safe with Jeremy's pretty much insistence on using the if it were my dream format. Yes, that language is so good. That language is so good because no matter how well-meaning we are, if I say, Lalani, your dream means blah, 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 and your dream, your, no matter how well-meaning I intend, it sounds somewhat accusatory. Whereas if I say, wow, Leilani, you know, in my version of that dream, or if it were my dream, it would be having to do with X, Y, Z. That's a very different feel in the communication, in the way we connect. And um, I got that over and over again with Jeremy. You know, if people forgot, he would just take his fist, you know, and pound, you know, hit his chest like me, 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 me. I'm sure you saw that him do that in the workshop. Yeah. And it was a gentle reminder, use the right language, please. And I think that is a huge component in people feeling safe. I agree. I, this just recently came up in a group that I'm facilitating where uh, someone shared an interpretation completely in the you framework. Yeah. And the dreamer 
asked, you know, can you, can you share this with the, if it were my dream language? Cause I feel really uncomfortable at being told that what you just said is true about me, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's, it's so different to hear it in those ways. Um, when I first heard Jeremy doing that, I still remember the dream he was talking about. Um, and he was retelling it as though it were his dream. Right. And he Mm -hmm. was encouraging us to not just give lip service, but really own the fact that we have no idea what this dream actually looked or felt like. We can only Uh experience an imagined version. Uh He is telling this man's dream back to us. And he was saying, I go down the stairs. I see the painting on the wall. And at first it was strange to me, you know, the first time I heard him doing that because I was thinking of it as this other man's dream. But it quickly became natural. And I also now, of course, speak in that way. I'm walking down this hallway. Um, I hear a sound and it, it has come to feel more authentic to me. Because mm-hmm. We're each stepping into this imagined space in our own way. Well, and he used to say, and I certainly really believe this, that once we hear someone else's dream, uh, and we take it in that way, and we talk about it that way, it becomes our dream. And, you know, I don't know how much you know about Jeremy, but his background was that of social activism and community um, community organizing. And part of how he got into dream work was that he had been called in to help with an organization in California in, I don't know, the 70s or something. It was an organization of well-meaning liberal white folks that had come to help these uh, people of color who were having difficulty in their community. And it was not going well. And someone had said, you know, there's this guy, Jeremy Taylor, and he seems to work well with the groups. And, you know, maybe we can get him to come in here and help us make this group more cohesive. And so Jeremy came in and started getting people to share their dreams. And he said it was a way of owning our projections. Because if I hear the dream of a, you know, 35-year-old black postal worker or a 40-year-old black person who's in the military, then I'm going to take on that dream and I'm going to say, you know, me as this person is going down the stairs and seeing a painting or whatever. So in that moment, I'm, I'm saying to that black person who has told me their dream in my version of this dream, what, you know, what, what I see in this person is also in me. And he saw it as a profound way sharing dreams to affect social change because the bottom line is we have to say in my dream. So whatever my projections are about this story that you have, I have to own my own projections. And I think that's extremely powerful of walking a mile in the other person's shoes. Yeah. Yes. I was thinking about that with your your dream of the townhouse that was full of foreigners. And you you named so many places in the world that these people came from, you know, but none of them had the sense of being your cousin or your family or people um, that were a part of your, your group. And they weren't a part of, it, it wasn't, it wasn't a co it wasn't a compatible part of my anatomy, of my heritage, of my family. They were all foreigners. And I think the dream mistress made them foreigners. So I would automatically think, or at some point get around to thinking foreign, foreign cells, yep. you know, yep. and there was no danger involved. Like I said, there was no destruction but just the fact that throughout they were all foreign people. There was mm-hmm. none of my anatomical people. Yeah, right. And I think that, you know, a group could take that dream if you wanted to share it with a group and find so much in there. The message for you about your health was so clear and so important. And with every dream having so many layers, Yes, you know, there's, there's layers in here, I feel like, about, you know, if this were my dream, about culture and nationality and what is foreign and who is compatible, mm-hmm. you know, and what different influences can coexist in the same building. 
uh, peacefully without doing harm versus yes. cooperatively. And uh, by by stepping into your dream and thinking about, okay, if this were me and I considered all these different characters to be foreign, what comes up for me? Exactly. And because we're talking about a dream and not about a current social political event, I feel like there's a little more room for honesty, you know, and dialogue. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, Cause it's, you know, we're talking about our internal world and our feelings and, as you say, our projections, but it's such important, it's such an important topic for us to be more honest about uh, if we're going to have actual social change. Yes, you know? exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, before we have to wrap up today, I wonder if I could share an example dream with you and just see how you might engage with it. Sure. That sounds good. Okay. All right. I never, I never mind hearing dreams. <laughs> okay. Okay, good. So in this dream, I'm in an indoor space. I'm in a room and a woman is telling me a story. She's telling me that a man I know um, was hanging off the edge of a cliff by a rope and hanging off the cliff near him on another rope was a wild cat that had been killed. And in, I begin to see this scene as she's telling me the story. And I look at it and I can't quite tell if it's a tiger or a mountain lion or a jaguar. But the man is um, very carefully and in great danger trying to skin this cat, take the hide off of it. But he's, he's over a 1,500 foot drop. She tells me it was a 1,500 foot drop. So he's sort of swinging and hanging and trying to balance himself and keep hold of the rope that's holding the cat as he takes his knife and very carefully begins to um, skin the hide away. That's okay. It. And um, I guess my, my question is, um, what's the day like? What's the environment like? I mean, is it mm -hmm. sunny? Is it cloudy? Is it raining? Is it winter? It's sunny. It's a very familiar look to the environment around here. So the, the cliffs and the canyons, a lot of them have this white, we call it the Navajo sandstone. So it's a, a pale color and the sky is very blue. And there's the sense of being able to see for a very long way out into the distance and down into the canyon. And do I recognize this woman who's talking to me? Do I recognize her from Waking Life? No, she seems to be a member of the community. We both know this man, but I don't recognize her. And how old is she? A little older than I am, I would say, but it's not so specific. She seems, okay. she seems to maybe know a little more than I do. Like she's a little older than me. Okay. And in the dream, did she, oh, we both know this man in the dream, mm -hmm. but I never see him. I just hear this story. Yes. Yeah. I, I see it as she's telling it, but I wasn't there for it. Yeah. And while she's telling the story, do I get the sense that this is ongoing or did it already happen? This already happened. Okay. And she doesn't know the ending of the story. She just says, oh, he's hanging off this rope and the, the wildcat is hanging off the rope and he is trying to take, to skin it, even though he's in this really sort of dicey, precarious physical environment. Yeah. Yeah. That is where it ends. I don't have the sense. I, like, I, I have the sense that she does know the whole story. She's telling me this really interesting, strange thing that already happened, but the dream ends really on that imagery of, um, well, it ends on the imagery of him cutting with the knife and my trying to puzzle out, is that a jaguar or a tiger? What is that? So I'm trying to figure out what the cat is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, for me, I think about this dream. And one of the first things I always do is think about all, all aspects, all images in, in the dream are some part of myself. And the other thing that immediately comes to mind to me is that there are many ways to skin a cat. Uh -huh. <laughs> and so I think about if it were my dream, 
just on on these this information, I think about if it were my dream, I would be asking myself, where in my life do I feel like I'm hanging from a thread in trying to skin a cat? And mm. it seems as though I'm using the part of me that's trying to do this skinning is maybe perhaps my masculine energy, but there's also an element of my female in there because she's the one that's telling me this story. And so for me, there's something about some problem I'm trying to solve, but I feel like I don't have solid footing under me. I'm hanging over the edge of this cliff and the part of me that I'm trying to unwrap skin the cat is also not in a very solid position that, Mm -hmm. oh my gosh, this is pretty dicey. And so for me, it has to do with wondering what the dream is letting me know. Perhaps I don't realize in the situation this dream might represent that I'm standing on not real solid ground. And the other image that comes up for me is that when I think about being this person in this position trying to skin this cat, I think about, boy, I'm going through a lot of contortions. Mm -hmm. And for me, I wonder where in my life right now do I feel like I'm, I'm having to contort myself to accomplish something. And the question that the dreamer or the, that Leilani is asking me or that is asking herself is, what kind of cat is this? Is this a jaguar? Is this a wild cat? And I'm, I'm wondering about what difference does it make? If it were my dream, I'm thinking, what, why is that relevant to me? If it were my dream, I would be wondering myself, why would I be focused on what, what exactly kind of cat is this? Mm. And so for me, these are all questions that come up for this dream, but I get the impression, I don't know this for a fact because I don't hear the ending, but in the dream, I sort of get the sense that neither, you know, the cat doesn't fall to his, to, to the bottom of the wherever, the, the male part of me doesn't fall, that it somehow gets resolved, but some part of me, the female part who's telling me the story in the dream, for some reason, isn't giving me the whole picture yet, doesn't tell me how it ends. Mm. And so for me, when I hear that, I think about the fact that there's some kind of understanding or decision or awareness that she's waiting for me to come to. Huh. Rather than tell me the end of the story herself, She's somehow waiting for me to have an awareness that gives me that perception, that gives me that answer. I don't know if I said that clearly or not. I, I it completely resonates. Yeah, I love that. Okay. Yeah. No, <laughs> okay. I'm, good. Yes. I, however, you said it, I got it. Um, okay. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I mean, the the phrase "skin a cat" came to me too when I wrote this dream down and. I love the way you kind of brought that more to my attention. Like there's something trying to get done here. And mm-hmm. as, as you were talking and I'm sort of watching the scene again, it, it almost makes me want to laugh because not only, you know, am I hung up on what type of cat it is hung up, uh, mm-hmm. that pun is there too, but also why is he skinning this thing when he's hanging from a rope and he could, climb up it and then pull the cat up and just be on solid ground. It's, it mm-hmm. it's, it's, uh, as you were talking, I was watching that and kind of laughing at that aspect of myself because this person in waking life, he really loves a good story. And mm-hmm. I know that sometimes he puts himself in, uh, strange, Precarious. maybe <laughs> even risky, <laughs> risky situations to get a good story, you know? Uh-huh. And so here's this woman telling the story and, and she's, she's into it. She's gone, you know, she's gone for that thing that he's done of creating a story, but he, he, me as him, you know, I really don't have to contort myself that much. I really don't have to make it this hard or this dangerous if I just want to skin this cat Uh and, and the, the word hide also Uh is interesting now because 
you know, what kind of cat is that? You can only tell if you're going to be able to tell by its hide. Um, but in this dream, I'm trying to take the hide off, you know, so it makes me think about hiddenness and, and what's exactly, what's exactly. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Well, thank you so much. That was great. That just gives me, <laughs> it's, it's, it's so uh, fun every time. I mean, sometimes it's emotional or hard too, but, but I find it so delightful to hear your, um, your take on it and, and then just kind of change my angle a little bit. Oh yeah, that's there. Well, and that's the thing that happens. I think when people, you know, I, I don't know how many times I've said, or someone in the group said, boy, this is a strange dream. I have no idea what it means. And then we start listening to it and we start projecting on it. And all of a sudden, just the littlest things can change the dreamers um, sort of awareness or all of a sudden they'll have a a piece of clarity. Oh, oh, I hadn't thought about that. But yeah, that feels right. It's like sometimes if we just move our perspective five degrees, we have such a different idea of what the picture means. And I think that that's one of the most marvelous things about working dreams in a group is that there is such such richness, you know, and if there were two more people here, Leilani, on our conversation, you would hear two more stories, uh, uh, understandings of what the story you just told meant and the layers, the richness, you know, for some person, when they talk about this dream, it might have something to do with some creative issue that they're struggling with in their life and for someone else it might have to do with oh my god that so sums up the relationship with me and my father and Uh for somebody else they might say you know I'm in this work environment and holy cow do I feel like I'm out on a limb all the time and somebody else might say I've been grappling with some really serious spiritual issues and this just pal this just really lays it out there for me and it's just so astounding to me that depending on who you are and what the story says to you at the moment, the dreamer can hear so many layers of what that dream could mean if it were someone else's dream. Right. And then the dreamer has the ahas for the parts that are true for them, but the person sharing their projection has all those ahas that are true for them off of this other dream, this other person. That's exactly right. And it's, it's part of the great value like I said, I think it's it's just part of the reason that Jeremy was so pro working dreams in groups because everybody, everybody in the group, even if it's not the their told dream, it becomes their dream and they get to understand what they're grappling with through the story of this dream. So everybody wins. Everybody comes away with some kind of aha. Okay, so for anybody listening to this right now, you can be our dream group. You can um, join in with me and Denise and on the Dreamers Den Facebook page, or if you're in our our group, Dreamers Den, chime in on what you heard in this skin the cat off a cliff dream. (laughs) Um, It would be really exciting and interesting to hear what what kind of notes this struck for you, how how you would um, take this if it were your dream. So please do share that and I'll make sure you see those, Denise, if anyone chimes in. Okay, that sounds great. Okay, well, thank you so much. This was such a pleasure. I love hearing your stories. And um, before we wrap up, would you want to let listeners know how they might be able to work with you or learn more about what you do? Well, sure. Um, I have a website, uh, DC, uh, as in Denise Connor, dreamwork.com. And um, I, I work with dreams for people all over. I work with Skype. I work on the phone. I work in person. And I'm always open to hearing people's dreams and helping them to understand what the dream mistress, what the gift is that she's trying to give you. Um, she's available to all of us. And all of her packages, as Jeremy used to say, definitely come in the service of health and wholeness. Beautiful, beautiful. I will link to your website in the show notes so that our listeners can find you. Well, thank you again, Denise. This was wonderful. Well, it was my pleasure. And um, I look forward to uh, hearing any input 
seeing any input that, that people care to make. And thank you again so much for including me in this uh, community and in this podcast. I'm, I think that uh, whatever the question, the answer is, let's listen to our dreams more. Mm, yes. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to my conversation with Denise Connor. Please come visit the free Dreamers Den group on Facebook and let me know what you would think if that skin the cat dream were your own or share with us anything else this episode sparked for you. The next episode coming out on the full moon will be an interview with Sue Scavo, longtime dream worker and teacher and editor of the literary journal Deluge, which is filled with creative work inspired by dreams. We had a fantastic conversation, so be sure to subscribe to the Dreamer's Den podcast wherever you're listening right now and catch that next episode. If this kind of conversation feeds you too, I'd love to hang out with you online. Consider supporting this podcast, deepening your own dream work, and connecting with a dreaming community by becoming a member of the Dreamer's Den. You can choose your monthly contribution on a sliding scale between three and 24 US dollars per month, according to what works for you. This is a time of financial change and uncertainty for many of us, and I want to make it as easy as I can for us to come together in community over dreams, one aspect of our lives that can give us clarity, connection, and a sense of guidance. When you join the Dreamers Den, you'll get four things. One, a members-only forum that's open every day for sharing dreams and working them together in writing. I imagine not everybody in your life wants to hear your dreams, but everyone in this group does care about their dreams and they believe your dreams are interesting and important. Two, you'll get a prompt or invitation from me every month, a new way to engage with your dreams and with the group, which you can play with all month or at whatever moment it feels right to you. Three, you'll have a members-only price for one-on-one dream work with me. We can meet by phone or video call. And four, whenever I host a live online event, you will get 50% off the ticket price. In 2020, I'm planning some live dream group calls and live workshops on dreams and creativity, active imagination, and dreams and physical healing. Some of those I will lead and some will be led by guest teachers. I think you're going to love those. So again, the contribution that works for you between three and 24 US dollars per month. If you're loving what we talk about in this podcast, I'm sure you'd value membership in the Dreamer's Den. And I'd value you. Your perspective in your voice would add to the conversation in a way that only you can. Please visit thedreamersden.org and consider becoming a member. Until next time, wishing you deep dreams.